Tonight's about um, know your enemy. We are in a battle, and it's a battle that's never... Well, we're in a war, and it's battles in that war that's never going to stop. Battles as a, a, a group of believers and individual battles we're going to have, they're not going to stop. I wonder, um, me, when I thought about this, because I, I took it from the verse, and I was looking, and the word that stood out to me was the word power. And I thought, mm, Satan has a lot of power because, you know, he tries to instill fear on us. And when someone has, has uh, fear over you, that's a type of power that they have. So I thought we'd look at some of his names tonight. And when I was thinking about his names, off the top of my head, I was amazed. Over the years, I've learned quite a lot of them. And I was able to name off about 14 or 15 of them. And I'm just wondering, without anybody checking the internet, how many names do you think he has? I, I, I don't even think I got exhausted the list. How many, anybody want to hazard a guess? Satan has. Satan being one of his names. Anybody know? I got round about the 25, 26 mark for Satan's names. If anybody beats that and they make a list of them, come and see me next week. I will give you a, a surprise. All right? When I say a surprise, I'll give you a gift. All right? But you need to have the list of all his names so that I can check them off against mine and kind of verify them. Because you see his names. He's not given those names for just no reason. There's things that we can identify about him as our enemy. There are things that we can learn about him. So let's pray. Father, we just thank you tonight that we're here. We just pray that um, what we do and to, uh, tonight will be an encouragement to the brethren, to one another. And we do pray, Father, that um, all that's said here tonight would be a, um, a blessing to you. Father, we just pray that you'd use me to preach the word and uh, preach it in power and in truth to build up and edify the brethren. And also, Father, so we really get to know who our enemy is and uh, just uh, some way to encourage each other to go off and study about him. So, Father, we just commit this evening to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So fear is a powerful thing. Fear of someone gives you, uh, fear of someone gives them power over you. The very thought of someone you're frightened of might even make you feel faint or nauseated or even avoid a situation where you may come into contact with them. Used to be a guy when I was about 15, I went to work every morning. I got on the bus, I sat in the same seat. And this guy was the local bully, but he was a big strapping guy. And he always wanted to sit in my seat. And just this one said, no, you're not getting it. And man, he started a whole sort of row. Now, he didn't throw fisticuffs, maybe because we are on the bus. But I dreaded seeing this guy. He'd give me pains on my stomach, the thought of this guy. And bullies do that. You know, if someone instills fear in you, it makes you feel ill. Um, I also remember a bully from my class. I can't even remember his name. Tall guy, about this much taller than me at school. Blonde hair, and he was like a twig. I'm skinny, but this guy was like a twig. But he used to walk past me and go, spit on me, and things like that. Oh, I was desperate. And one day, in secondary school, in the playground at tea break, uh, lunch break, I just had enough. And I went, and I chinned him. I just had enough. Do you know what? He gave me quite a digging. But I'm not saying this is always going to happen, but you see from that day, he wouldn't let anybody else say boo to me, and he never picked on me again. But he was a bully, and he ruined my year that year. It was, it was third year in secondary school. I dreaded seeing this guy in my class. I made sure if he was there, I was here. If he was here, I was there. Or I just wouldn't sit anywhere near him. And I always tried to come in late to the class, just as the door was about to shut, so as I wouldn't have to line out, and this guy would be there bullying me. Bullies, they have a power over you when they've, they have, uh, when they've instilled fear in you. Uh, but causing fear to people uh, gives them control over you, and you tell them to do, and you tell them to do something, and they do it. Uh, sorry, if you tell, if you're causing fear in someone, uh, it gives you control over them. And then you tell them to do something, and then the person's going to do it. I've seen that many times. There's people bullying, and they shout at someone or tell someone to do something. They give me your lunch money, and they give you the money over. So I have that sort of power over them. Or if you see some distance like I did, there was other guys where I grew up in Belfast. It was a rough place. Um, I'd see, you'd see other people in a distance, and you'd probably cross over to the other side of the street. Sometimes the guys never even noticed you. They just walked on past the other side of the street. Sometimes I took another route. Seen the guy coming. And I'd walk down a street and do a loop around. There were some real tough guys in the 70s where I lived in Belfast. And they did instill fear in me. I'm a man. I, I mean, I was a, a lad and I was into all sorts of things. But I wasn't one of those uh, killer guys. I didn't have that killer instinct for fighting. I had plenty of fights when I was a kid. I had to stand up for myself. Or sometimes I had no choice. 
But I just didn't like that type of life. And when I seen those sort of people coming around, I just was frightened of them. I just didn't like it. But they had a, uh, instilled fear in me, and they had a kind of control over me, whether they knew it or not. Well, we as Christians might not be able to imagine being like that, or can we? But I'm sure some of us, uh, when we were younger, were in fear of bullies or of a group of gang when we were younger. Um, even in the 70s, there was loads of gangs in Belfast, and there were certain areas you just didn't go into. Sometimes I wonder, as Christians, is there certain areas, even now, or maybe is there somewhere in work that we avoid because they're rough-type people? I don't know. There are just places, there are situations, there are events we have to avoid, or people scare us off from going to them. But fear is a controller. And we have an enemy who tries to instill fear in us. So I wanted to try and uh, know some of the things about the enemy. Lucifer, that was the name. You'll find that one in the Bible. That's his name that was given to him in heaven. Satan and the devil, there are two names as well that instills fear, even in the unsaved. And they're sort of names that are interchangeable, Satan, the devil. Uh, Most people know about Satanists from movies and they know about news reports. There was a news report many years ago when I was only about 13 or 14. A young fellow was kidnapped in Belfast and they didn't find him for months later and then they discovered him dismembered by the big river, it's the equivalent of the lead, it's called the Lagan. They found his body and they discovered, and it was in all the newspapers, that the Satanists had got this kid and sacrificed him way back in the 70s. And so we all hear about things about these people and it instills fears when we hear Satan, the devil, and Lucifer. Or then there's a movie that I saw in the 70s, it was about demon possession. I wasn't saved and I had no spiritual thought of anything. But even to this day, I wouldn't watch the movie again. It just scared the living daylights out of me. Stories about the devil are passed on from mothers and grandmothers to control children's behavior. Like, I remember my mother would have said, don't do that, go down to the devil. And you'd hear things like that as well, just to control you. Or, um, or things like, behave, or the devil will take you away. Do you know, my grandmother might have said things like that, or the devil will take you away. He's a scary guy. The devil will come and get you. And I'm sure we've all thoughts and various stories we could tell about the fear of the devil. So, to know the devil and the enemy, then let's look at some of his names. The first one I want to look at uh, shortly, uh, is short, is the adversary. Dictionary says an adversary is an opponent. He's an enemy or a foe, someone that you go up against. And that's one of his main names, the adversary. 1 Peter 1, it says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary The devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. In other words, he wants to destroy you. When he says he wants to devour, he wants to destroy you in some way. Uh, We're up against the devil. He will always be the foe until he's cast into the lake of fire. He's always going to be there, giving us grief. Then there's the father of lies. That's another name for him. Funny, the father of lies... Do you know, it ties in with being a deceiver as well. Because when he's telling lies, he's deceiving you. And when he's deceiving you, he's telling lies. He trusted scripture in the garden. You remember that, didn't he? Did God say you're going to get, you're going to die? God didn't say that. I've heard so much false doctrine over the years, and it continues. Scripture tells us there's nothing new under the sun. There's always been false doctrine all the time. And it's Satan is behind all of the false doctrine. You see all these cults that we see today, just even mention the JWs or the Mormons or anything else. It's nothing new what they're pushing. It's just packaged up differently. It's always been there. Um, I've heard false doctrines in the, uh, church, the last church I went to, so much that I fell out with the pastor and the elders of my last church over a book called The Shack. And I hate to say it, even to repeat it, but it was actually, uh, Alison brought it up one time in her prayer meeting, someone started to mention about the shack book and how much they were enjoying it and what they were getting out of it. And I was reading my Bible for something, and Alison was sitting beside me, and she started, like, and my wife's not like this. She's up in the background, she's not up for And she got very heated with one of the elders over this book, the shack. And so I listened. And then it came up another time with another elder about the shack, how wonderful it is. So I followed it up, and she got heated again with this guy as well. So anyway, I read up on it, and I asked the pastor, do you mind if I get up and say something about the shack? I said, because there are too many people getting involved with it. So I did, and I had a whole lot of pages, and I stood up, 
And this wasn't the preaching. I just stood up as a kind of an announcement to tell people not to be reading this shag. And the thing I don't like saying, but one thing that really got to me, there was a whole lot in it. It's, it's all rubbish. But it's, it described God in the imagination of the person, who, of the character in the book. And it was a, it was a fat, black woman. And that's literally in the shack. God's not fat. He's not black. And he's not a woman. God is a spirit. He's not white. He's not brown. God is a spirit. And that was false doctrine. It was a hateful thing. There's lots of other things. It's also written uh, by a person who's not a Christian. It's a book that shouldn't have anything to do with it. It was bought to me as a present by mistake. They didn't know about it. I said, can you take that back? I wouldn't have that. And explained it. The book was taken back and I was provided with another book as a present. There's horrendous false doctrines out there. So I fell out with the church over that because the pastor didn't side with me and take a stand with me. And that was one of the nails that put it in for me and Alison to leave the other church. John 8, 44 says, You are ye are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and is the father of it. Do you know, it's not even false doctrines. It's, that's only just one aspect of the lies that he'll tell. He'll tell you all sorts of things. And I even had thoughts about women in the fashion and how they dress. This is how you dress now for sports. My goodness, you might as well be wearing nothing going out to sports when you see some of the women. Ladies, don't get into tight clothing. Satan uses even lies when it comes to fashion. Same with men. He uses lies in just about everything. He really does. He deceives us in our minds over all of these things. I was looking also uh, on the internet and I was watching some of the stuff on YouTube uh, and I called them the pastors of Satan. And when I was watching about Benny Hinn and Joel Osteen and that, and the guy said, that's what I called them in my notes. He called them the pastors of Satan as well. And so they are because they're doing Satan's work. They're telling lies. Benny Hinn, you could listen to him for a few minutes because I said to him, you could listen to this guy and think he's sound. But he seems okay until he starts spouting off heresy or he starts thinking, give me your money. Do you know, he's Benny Hinn, he's a pastor of Satan. Joel Olstein, oh sorry, uh, going back to Benny Hinn, I heard him saying on one of his uh, YouTubes, it says he was getting angry at people, at other pastors who were saying that he was doing wrong and he was a false prophet and a false pastor. And he said, and he was shouting, around. and I don't want to try and imitate the guy, but he was standing, and he says, if I could have got the machine gun of the Holy Spirit, I would have shot them all. What way is that for a pastor to talk that he's going to machine gun down other pastors? The guy is just taken over by Satan. It has to be um, dwelt in by spirits, evil spirits. <clears throat> Joel Olstein, I have to say, and he's Mr. Cheesy Grin. He has that Cheesy grin. Uh, do you know, first appearance is kind. I looked at this guy and I said, there ain't something right about this. All right, just looking at him. But he's into the power of positive thinking. He, does, he tells everybody what they want to hear and to encourage him and build them up. But it was his wife that got me, Victoria Olstein. She says, in one of her things, she says, and you're living your life for God, but Satan wants to come along and steal those seeds away from you. She's as bad. He says, be better. Be a better you. Think it. Visualize it. And say it will happen. And then she says, do it for yourself. Don't do it for God. God wants you to be happy. What kind of teaching is that? Do it for yourself. Don't do it for God. Because God wants you to be happy. Do you know, it's the way they package these things and they put them together. She's also controlled by Satan who counterfeits scripture and she's doing his works by telling half-truths and full-on lies. She also, she wants your money. These people are filthy rich. Joel Olstein and uh, Victoria Osteen take these things and you know what they do? Take all these things and they package them up and then they make them sound acceptable to people and people fall for the lie. Then there's the deceiver. That's the other one. Without lies... When you tell lies, you're deceiving. When you're deceiving, you're telling lies. Revelation 22 to 3, 
And he said, and he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him up for a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more. See, he's the deceiver. Till the thousand years should be fulfilled, and after that, he must be loosened a little season. So Satan is a great deceiver, that so much that he deceives nations. Revelation 20.10, And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and they shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. See, that's why we have, that's another name that's given to him, so that we can understand what it is he does. And it's just, not just unsaved, it's saved that he deceives. So he deceives the unsaved with things like the theory of evolution. And that's just what it is. It's a theory, folks. It can't be proven. It can be argued, but it can't be proven because it's only a theory. He deceives with science over the Bible. They say science is based on fact. Funny enough, I just heard a program the other night, and the guy says, look, science is based on facts. And unless there's facts there, then it's not proven. And, if you, and what they say then over with science is, if you can't see God, then he doesn't exist until he's proven. There is no God is another one. Because people say, if there's a God, why would he let such horrible things happen in the world? The other side of that is people don't want God. So then why should they expect God to help them when they, want, when they need him? What else does he see with materialism? It's all you need. There's rich people out there and they have so much that I don't need God. I have all the stuff to keep me happy. I'm comfortable. I don't want God in my way, uh, in the way of all the things that I have. I don't need him. And that's what they say. Then the other one, and I'm trying not to get the tune in my head, love is all you need. Remember, Beatles used to sing that in the 60s and the 70s. Love is all you need. Heard it from that song. But I've heard so many people say, he's a God of love. He won't send me to hell. I've been a good person. He loves me so much he won't send me to hell. Bible says he loved the whole world. Yes, but not the sin. For the wages of sin is death. And people miss that. And Satan uses that. You know, he takes scripture and deceives people with it. He's a God of love. He won't send you to hell. Oh, really? What about your sin? Then he deceives the brethren. He causes disputes over nothing. And I've seen them in other churches, people falling out. I've even seen one or two here over the, the ten years that I've been here. And it's usually mountains out of molehills. The devil persuades us in the form of temptations to hold unkind and angry feelings towards the brethren, towards each other. That's Satan, is that that? He's behind that with us. He strives to keep up a spirit of resentment. That really happened to me in the other church over a person. I didn't go and speak to him and his wife, and the bitterness got the better of me. Satan won. He won that battle, I can tell you, well and truly. You have to know that many of these feelings then um, are of standing our ground and defending our... I'm oh, sorry... So he strives to keep up a spirit of resentment. So then, a lot of these feelings that we have then, it's about standing our ground, and it's defending our position. They're really temptations. It's produced by the devil. Bill's really annoyed me. It really is. And I'm not giving away to him. Like, I sit there every week, and he's taking my seat. Like, he should know better to sit in my seat. And you stand your ground, and even something stupid like that gets you wound up. They say, ah, better get over it. Well, you better realize it. Devil's been in there. That's him starting things like that resentment, stirring them up, making a mountain out of a molehill. Bill, don't be sitting in my seat. <laughs> he casts doubt in the, uh, within the brethren about the pastor and the elders. A church in the north split because they wanted the pastor out. Half of the church wanted the pastor out, and the other half wanted him to stay. I won't go into all the details, but it got so bad, they actually had to call the police to separate them. There were scuffles. Now, there weren't punches, but they were pushing and pulling and shoving and shouting and yelling. And when one half was coming in, the others were shouting and roaring at them. It got to the point where one group goes in at 10 o'clock in the morning, and when they're finished, 30 minutes later, the other lot turn up. They're going to have their service so they don't see each other. One half have the pastor and the other half... I don't know where they got their pastor, why they elected him. If they got another pastor, it went to that half of the church after what's gone on there. I don't know. But you know what? That church 
not only in that town ruined their testimony. They ruined testimony because it was in the newspapers. It was on the news in the north of Ireland. What a testimony of born-again believers falling out over that. They were deceived by Satan. Satan was standing back, laughing, having a field day, ruining the witness. And he was laughing at the church split in two and the way they were behaving. And the whole witness was ruined and there were people not hearing the gospel. There were people going to hell because of that church for quite some time. He deceives with the internet. And I've seen it, and it was, I've seen this picture, I don't know if anybody's seen it, but it was a mixture of a kind of a horse and a dog and a, a zebra. It was all sorts of things, and it had a fluffy tail. And it was, I believe it because I saw it on the internet. You've got to be careful about the internet, folks. There's a word called discernment. And the bottom line is, you test everything with this book. John 4, 1. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Olstein, Benny Hinn, just to name a few. Can we not discern using God's word? That's what it's there for. We're meant to be in God's word all the time. He deceives with false doctrine that sounds right when it's packaged by false teachers. He deceives the unlearned those who have not studied to show themselves approved unto God, and also deceiving with the crowd that we hang with. You could be with other Christians, and I've heard other stories. Uh, again, I suppose most of what I'm hearing, because there are more Christians in Northern Ireland, I hear all these stories about what's happening up there. But they're feeding off each other when they're in within this, this, these crowds, the misinterpretations. They're using pride to form and push wrong doctrine. And my friend Philip told me a story about another church that has a, a great reputation, a brethren church. But within that, there's a house group that a group of young people, uh, late teens, early 20s, some of them are still at university, and they meet. And there's this one guy who's been to Bible college and done three years. And these young people say, well, what does Tom think? What does Tom think about this? And he's pushing all sorts of doctrine. I want to tell you, because I, I won't, I'm not mentioning names, but Philip said he was shocked. And Philip actually doesn't know the guy or anything, but he's going to do something about it before he left. Well, he's back in Indonesia now. He arrived yesterday. But he said he was going to challenge him. He's going to talk to him. I'm trying to get this straight so I don't give anything away because this has been taped. Young girl spoke to Philip. Philip said, and she told Philip that she's going on holiday. He said, all right, and... Uh, what about the hotel? Oh, well, we can only get one room because of the price and so on. Really? And uh, how do you feel about this? What has the boyfriend said about it? Oh, well, he went and spoke to Tom. Oh, what did Tom say? Tom says, well, don't tell anybody and you're okay. Really? Unmarried? Parents don't know. All right, so she's 18. So what? Doesn't know. You're going to be sure in a room in a hotel in a city in Europe. And this young fellow who sort of leads this group of young people, he said, don't tell anybody. Nobody will know. Well, funny enough, be sure your sins will find you out. Because Philip found out about it and took issue with it and challenged. And not only that, God knows. So he deceives everyone he can. That's sin. Great deceiver. He's accuser of the brethren. Revelation 12 20. Would someone turn that for me? Revelation 12.20. Someone read that out loud for me. Oh, maybe it's 21.10, is it? It could well be. No, I said, all right, then I've got the wrong reference. I must have typed it in wrong. All right. And I heard a loud voice in he saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of the brethren is cast down, which accused them before God day and night. He accuses us before God. Look what Eric did. Punish him, God. He's one of yours. 
Ever hear the in your ear? Ever hear it? Give up. It's a waste of time. You can't do this. It's not for you. Or what kind of Christian are you to sin like that? You'll never get your relationship back with God. With God now, for what you have done. Do you ever hear things like that in your ear? Folks, that's Satan and his minions telling you these things. He's the accuser of the brethren. He accuses us of all things before God. He causes even the world to accuse us. The world wants us to adhere to unscriptural laws. Laws that are contrary to this book. Inequality is Satan's latest to accuse us of. We don't believe in equality with all sorts of people or all sorts of things. We won't promote homosexuality. So the world accuses us of doing wrong. Satan has made it uh, good to be evil and evil to be good in the world's eyes. That's what he has done. He's flipped everything. That's what he does with scripture. He flips everything around. Then there's the angel of light. He's like a fifth columnist. Anybody know what a fifth columnist is? Well, I'll tell you. Uh, way back in the 70s, late 70s, I was over in Bavaria. I had a great time. Three months, working holidays, skiing, driving, an ambulance. But I stayed in this place, and it was an old uh, military caserna. And this caserna, it was actually in a book that I was reading at the time. And during the Second World War, now, this is nothing new, fifth columnist, but this particular one. During the Second World War, the Germans took people of their own, men and women, and they trained them up to look, act, think, speak, and behave like Russians. And then they took them and they planted them in uh, Russia. And when war started up, the fifth columnists, who were neighbors, looked, thought, and uh, behaved just like Russians. But they went into factories, they went on the railroads, they took down communications, blew up things and all sort of things. That's what fifth columnists do. And during the Cold War in the States, there were loads of people planted by Russia in America who looked, thought, taught everything like an American, lived next door to you, probably was your best friend and you never knew it, fifth columnists. Well, Satan's an angel of light and He's not this guy with the horns in red with a little pointy beard, standing in red with a big red pointy tail and the trident. That's not Satan. Again, that's just another way of deceiving people. I just laugh at him. It's a, it's, he's not real. That's just another way of deceiving people. But he's an angel of light and he gets in amongst the brethren as well. And you think he's sound and he's not. The Bible teaches us about false teachers, wolves among sheep's clothing, False teaching, things like prosperity doctrine. And we had a pastor, Alice and I, we went to an Elam church. We wanted a church that was close to where we lived. And actually we could walk it within seven minutes, five minutes to the church. And we went there for about two years, just over two years. But I remember the pastor and I didn't like it. Nice, likable sort of guy. And he was preaching prosperity doctrine. He said, I'm the son of a king. I deserve to have a new car. And he had taken money from the church to buy a new car. I'm the pastor and I'm a son of a king. I deserve to have a new car. And you know what caught me in my heart was? There was a man who was unemployed and his wife and two children sitting there struggling on benefits. And he was the son of a king and he deserved a new car. That's prosperity doctrine for you. I didn't know that's what you called it then because I'd never heard of that term. I know now about it, but at that time, I did not like it. Do you know what? Years later, when we had moved here, Alice and I had heard about this guy. He was a pastor. He stole their money and did a runner. Legged it with all their money. I don't know how much he got, but it was thousands upon thousands. He disappeared with it. So he said, I'm the son of a king. I deserve a new car. No, you don't. He didn't. Do you know what we deserve? Hell. We deserve it. Do you know what prosperity doctrine is? It's all about itchy ears. It's what people want to hear. It's what they want to hear, and Satan tells them that. Riches, the pride of life, they're temptations of Satan. The love of money, 
is the root of all evil. And Satan tried to tempt Jesus with riches. See all this? I'll give it to you. Prosperity doctrine? It's a doctrine of devils. That's what it is. And you'll get pastors, and you'll get other people, even elders, preachers, and you have to be discerning. Angels of light. Satan is in amongst the brethren. That old serpent, here's another one, Genesis 3, 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. See, there you are, he's twisted it. Satan has his weapons, is an arsenal beyond uh, most of us can imagine. Things that he can do. C.S. Lewis is not an author that I'm really prone to promote but he does have some good books. It's worth looking at. And I remember as a young Christian, I read two of them. Screwtape Letters and Screwtape Proposes a Toast. Screwtape was, the way it's written, it's about Screwtape who's a young devil and he's, he's in tempting college or the tempter's college and he's being trained. And the one that's doing all the talking to him is the principal of the college and he's teaching him and training him. And the way the book is written is to give us an idea of how Satan gets in behind. Like he's a deceiver, he's a liar, he's an angel of light. And all the way through these books, it's amazing the insights C.S. Lewis had and how he writes them. I'm going to read this to you. I hope it's not too hard to understand it. Let me read it to you. And this is what this is what this is taken from is the screw tape proposes a toast. And the principal of the college is standing up at the front and he's talking to all the graduates, that is the little devils or the young devils, that have all passed their course on tempting. And this is his final address to the young tempters. And this is what he says. And he's talking about himself. Let me recall to your minds what the human situation was in the latter half of the 19th century. The period at which I ceased to be practicing, that's the principal, the tempter, and was rewarded with an administrative post. So, instead of being out there tempting people, he was nigh the principal of a college. The great movement towards liberty and equality among men. C.S. Lewis was writing about equality and liberty back then, way back in the 50s, this book was written. Toward liberty and equality among men had been then born solid fruits and grown mature. Slavery had been abolished. The war, American War of Independence had been won. The French Revolution had succeeded. In that movement, there had originally been many elements which were in our favor. That's in favor of the devil and the tempters. Much atheism, much anti-clericalism, much envy and thirst for revenge. Even some rather absurd attempts to revive paganism were mixed in it. It was not easy to determine what our own attitude should be. On the one hand, it was a bitter blow to us, it still is, that any sort of men who had been hungry should be fed, or any who had long-worn chains should have them struck off. But on the other hand, there was in the movement so much rejection of faith, so much materialism, secularism, and hatred, that we felt we were bound to encourage it. And this is the principle of the, the demon tempter college is telling them this. He said, back in the early 19th century, when there was hatred and there was revenge and people were in the secularism, we encouraged all this. This is what Satan does, encourages these things amongst the brethren. One small paragraph after that. Under the influence of this incantation, those who are in any or every way inferior can labor more wholeheartedly and successfully than ever before to pull down everyone else to their own level. What he's talking about here is, when he's addressing them, is that there are people of different levels he works hard. He's got a reasonable nice house and a car, but he's working hard for a living and he's a good position and has a job. And then there's the guy who's struggling to get along and he's into drinking and he goes to the bars at night time. And he's talking about this guy wants to get at him because he's rich and I'm poor and he's trying to pull him down to his level. And his level is where he gets drunkenness and fighting and all the rest of it. So he says, to pull down everyone else to their own level. But that is not all. Under the same influence, those who come or could come nearer to a full humanity actually draw back from fear of being undemocratic. So he's talking about people that 
could actually live a nice clean life anyway, but they're frightened to say anything. Does that remind you? People are frightened to speak up today about things that's going on in case somebody points a finger at them. I am credibly informed that young humans now sometimes suppressed an insipid taste for classical music or good literature because it might even prevent their being like folks. So if somebody wants to be quite educated and listen to good music, they don't want people pointing the finger and saying, you're not like us. The people who would really wish to be and are offered the grace which would enable them to be honest or chaste or temperate, people want to refuse it. To accept them might take them, make them different, might offend against the way of life, take them out of the togetherness, impair their integration with the group. They might become individuals. You see, he wrote these things back in the 50s. And what he was talking about then, about inequality and materialism and all these things and people not wanting to look different or people frightened to say anything because somebody pointed a finger at them, it's all happening today. Look where it was then 50 years ago or 70 years ago, whatever it was, to where they are today. Political correctness we have. People are scared to say anything. Inequality. Fear of not being in step with society. With homosexuals. Gender. You know, in fact, there is no genders now with some of them. C.S. Lewis, a great insight for his day. Gay marriage, abortion, blending of genders and of no genders. That old serpent won't be letting up anytime soon. He's biting people. Last one, roaring lion. Loud enough to bring fear into the hearts of Christians. Loud enough to scatter the brethren in all directions. A friend of mine knew what should have been done, but was so stressed by a particular incident, then missed following the principles of Scripture by doing right. Satan tries to get us stressed, shouts loud enough, and then we just can't think. It happened to me also, and I'm sure others can testify similar situations about a roaring lion. Can't think right, and you do the wrong thing. Stressed, unable to think. The roaring lion, when it does, it roars so loud, it wants to cause the herd to scatter. Go for the weak, go for the young, go for the sick. That's what a lion does, and then it moves in for the kill. Stressed, not sure what to do, pray. And it's as simple as, no matter what the situation, if you're shaking, Lord help me. That's all you need. He hears you. So are we defeated? Can we actually not win battles? Has Satan got such a hold in the world that Christians are in disarray? What can we do about these spiritual attacks? Are we ignorant of what is available to us in war? No. One, because we have the spirit of power, not of fear. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Romans 8, 15. For ye have, for ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. I always think of that one. Daddy, help. It's that simple. It seems strange to talk to God, Daddy, but that's what Abba, Father really is, down to that language. 1 John 4, 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. See, there it is, torment. He hath feareth is not made perfect in love. We have God's word. Ignorant means lacking knowledge or untrained. Now, I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purpose to come unto you, but that but was let hitherto, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. You see, God doesn't want us to be ignorant. We have God's word. It's all in here. Uh, Matthew 4.32 For his word was with power. That's God's word. Luke 4.36 And they were all amazed and spake among themselves, saying, What a word is this? For with authority and power he commandeth the unclean spirits. Matthew 4.4 Who can quote it? Sorry, say it out loud. See, and he answered, and who, who did he answer? Satan. See, Jesus saw Satan off by using scripture, the sword of the spirit. Ephesians six seventeen. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Hebrews four twelve. for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. 
But if we're not trained in sword fighting or the use of the sword in battle, then can how, then how can anyone expect to use it in battle? How can you use this in battle if you're not trained? In terms of training uh, in the Word of God, and I'm not talking about devotional times in the mornings or in the evenings, and I'm not even talking about preaching times either in the mornings or in the evening times, but from study of the Word, study to show thyself approved unto God. And when I hear that word approved, it always makes me think, not that I actually need it printed out, but approved, certified, qualified, well-trained. Those are thoughts that come to my mind when I hear that. Study to show thyself approved unto God. Soldiers of basic training and then continuation training to be ready for war. And if they're not in war, they're training for war. I've talked with Mormons, JWs, evolutionists, atheists, just to name a few. And you know what? They've got knowledgeable people, knowledgeable people out there waging war. They're well-trained well brainwashed for some cults. And you just go around in circles with some of these people, but so long as you know what you believe, then they're not going to sow the seed of doubts. And you say what you have to say and what is the truth, leave it with them and walk it away, because you've just hopefully sown a seed of doubt in them. I've listened to debates where a person used scripture after scripture. The other person's arguments kept going into culty sects or into box canyons, as you would say in America. They couldn't take the argument anywhere and then the seeds of doubt were sown. It was one of the greatest debates I'd heard. A guy was just using scripture after scripture. But scripture says this, or the Bible says that. Every time the guy went to say something and tried to take it in a different direction, this guy had scripture to answer everything. That's all he said. But the Bible says this. No matter what was said, cul-de-sac or a box canyon, it was just brilliant. So we've got to be in the word to train for war. We have to do our utmost for his highest. So that would include personal study at home regularly, Bible Institute, Bible College, if not Bible College, maybe distance learning, taking notes in meetings, and we're trying to encourage that. Memorizing the Word of God, that's a real important one, is to memorize Scripture. This allows the Holy Spirit to recall what we have learned, and He will recall it as we need it in the, in the battles. But we must be sure that we're using correct doctrine. There's too many influences today on our thinking. Scripture tells us that we are to look to mature men. Hebrews 3.17 Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. 13.17 Obey them that have the rule over you, submit yourselves, for they watch over your souls, as they must give account. So you can look to older men as well if you're unsure about doctrine and go and discuss it with them. Satan's decisive, divisive, deceitful, destructive. And he, just like in the garden, he'll get you to listen and use scripture wrongly. It's imperative that we know the word of God. It protects us, it guides us, it edifies us, it encourages us, it gives us strength, it gives us hope, and it gives us joy. Psalm 119, 140. Isn't it just great? I try every year to read through the Bible in a year. Last time it was a year and a half because I wanted to meditate some more. But isn't it amazing you go through it? I don't know how many times I've gone through it. And I go, I don't remember that scripture. How did I miss that? And i just seen this one and I love this. This is my favorite now. Well, for the next, till I find the next one. Psalm 119, 140. Oh, sorry, it's not this one. It's further on. Thy word is very pure, therefore thy servant loveth it. You just can't pick up a sword and fling it about and expect to be good at it. Think about the world and their desires, their arguments, the cults, and their doctrines. You know, you've got to be able to use this to deal with all those things. Colossians 2, it says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy. And feign, there's that word, deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of this world, and not after Christ. Philippians 3.2, beware of the dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. And that concision is like cutting it out or cutting something short, not the full doctrine, not the full teaching, a bit like the serpent did in the garden. Ephesians 1.14, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine, there's always something coming up packaged differently. It's, this is a new way of doing things or a new way of talking about things. This is a doctrine you really need to get into. And it's by the sleight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking, we have to speak the truth, but we have to do it in love. 
1 Corinthians 6.13, Watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit you like men, be strong. You know, talking about every wind of doctrine, we've got to stand fast. And I remember up in the mountains with Chris and his best friend Shane about seven or eight years ago, 50, 60 mile an hour winds, couldn't see from here to the end of this room, snow was blasting down, they had their ice axes, and they put them right down into the hilt. If this is ground level, the axe was that far out, and they were on their knees holding on. And I'm glad he's not here tonight. And Chris looked up to me, and he shouts, Are we going to die? <laughs> it's true. It was so frightening. But I knew I could get me off. I didn't tell them. I wasn't sure about them. But I did. I stood, and it was like this. And the 50-mile-an-hour gusts were coming, and I stood there. And I thought, i got to show these guys no fear. And they need to have confidence in me that I got them off. Obviously, I got them off. But it was tough. And I had a little bit of doubts myself, even though I'm well experienced by the mountains. And I stood there holding on with a rucksack in the wind. And these two on their knees holding on. And that's what it's got to be like for, like us as well. We've got to stand fast. Forget all these wind of doctrines that comes about, the craftiness and the deceitfulness of it. So, what do we have there? We have the... So we're, in our battle, we've got the Holy Spirit, we've got God's Word, and we have prayer. Psalm 34, 4. I sought the Lord. This is my favorite verse now. I sought the Lord, and he heard me, and he delivered me from all my fears. I don't remember that one. I must have skipped over it or something. I don't know. It's not a great verse. I sought the Lord, and he heard me, and he delivered me from all my fears. 2 Corinthians uh, ten four for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Pray for each other. Uphold one another in prayer. And I've heard it many times, even in this church, going through a difficult time. But I knew the church was praying for me. I've heard people say that so many times. First Thessalonians 5.25 Brethren, pray for us. Remember I said that this morning. Hebrews 13.18 Pray for us. Second Thessalonians 3.1 Finally, brethren, pray for us. If you've got a problem, you don't have to tell the details. I've got something I want you to pray for, an unspoken request. Pray for me. I'll let you know when I get an answer. Pray for me. Go and ask people to pray for you. And if you want to share it with them, fine. Or pick someone that you know that you can trust and then tell them. <coughs> James 4, 8, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Get into prayer. Or, Lord, help me. It's as simple as that. James 4, 8, draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. If this is where God's standing, and if I'm walking away, God's getting further away. But you notice something? God's not moving, it's me. It says, draw nigh unto God, and he will draw nigh unto you. Well, as I get closer to God... He's getting closer to me. But God's not moving. He's always been there. He's always in the same place. It's me that moves. Draw nigh unto God. That's in prayer. So you've got to draw nigh unto him because it talks about a high tower. It says he's our high tower and that we run into him for safety and for help. We can call on the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I'm nearly finished. Number four. The last, this is the last point. One, We have a great high priest. We run into him, we call on him, we have a great high priest. Hebrews 7.25 See, what did Satan do? He's the accuser of the brethren. Where, where was his position? Before God, night and day, accusing us. It says about our great high priest. Seeing he liveth to make intercession for them. Them, that's us. Romans 8.34 Who is he that condemneth? That's Satan. It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is at the right hand of God. See, Christ is at the right hand of God. And he also maketh intercession for us. If someone's accused, if Satan's accusing you, or if you hear stuff in your head or in your heart that shouldn't be there, Jesus is there making intercession for you. Colossians 3, 1. If you are then risen with Christ, seek those things above where Christ sitteth at the right hand of God. We petition him before the throne of grace. 4.16, let us come boldly on the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. It's another verse, another way of looking at it. If you're difficulty, you need help. For whosoever call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
If I need safe from something really serious and difficulty, I'll call upon the name of the Lord to help me. He answers our prayers according to his will, and whatever he does will be the right thing in answer to our prayers. Right? And what's the time of conclusion? We face an adversary, and we must be like Jesus. Of course, there was a thing going about, I'm sure most of you remember, WWJD. What is that? What would Jesus do? Get into that practice. He is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He was the physical presence of God on earth. And in his weakened state in the wilderness, with no one to help him, he faced the adversary, the accuser of the brethren. Satan attacked, and just like Matthew 4, 4 tells us, and he answered and said, he saw off the devil, using scripture. We must be trained. We must grow in experience of warfare. Because to use this, you can be trained in it, but to use it well is you need to get into the battle. You need the experience. So we must be able to handle the two-edged sword. And I've already said it. Ah, oh, you're not a Christian. Or you'll not recover from that sin. Or give up. It's too hard. Really? Give up? It's too easy to stay down and it's harder to get up, isn't it? Especially for some of us. Not looking at anybody in particular. <laughs> But isn't that what a good soldier does? We heard that scripture this morning. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. We're in a battle. It's hard. It's not easy. But we're told to endure it. And not just endure it, but as a good soldier. Jesus gave us all on the altar of the cross. He said he would never leave us nor forsake us. When I go, I will send the Comforter. That's the Holy Spirit. Wherever two or three are gathered together, there I am in the midst. Pray in secret, and your heavenly Father who sees you. See, even when you're praying in secret, you're not alone. Never alone. And then this one, I like it as well. Hebrews 10, I think it is, 25. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. As a manner of some is. Safety in numbers, remember that, about the roaring lion. He has given us his word. It's full of promises. It's the power of God for us. We heard it in our memory verse, the power of God on salvation. And all we need to know about him is in the Bible about our enemy. We need to be proficient in using the sword of the Spirit. And then all we need to do then is pray, study, trust in his word, and use it. James 1.22 Be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Amen.